Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? Beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week's episode was recorded live on stage at the London Podcast Festival near King's Cross. It's a pretty freewheeling discussion between me, Jack Howard and the assembled audience. So sit back and take a front row seat for Kermode on Film live from the London Podcast Festival. I can't believe... I just brought you a bag with you. I don't trust you. anybody with it. That was the very definition of a ripple of applause. Yeah. <laughs> I was expecting and... a better entrance, to be honest. I should thought we go out, should smoke and, and pyro? And... Go out and do it again, all right? Come on. Come really? On. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Okay, and, like, literally make it worthwhile, okay? It's Friday night. Right, come on, off. A few of you can stand if you want. Just to, like, imagine that there is smoke I'll do, and pyro. I'll do, I'll do, the, I'll do the voice. Okay, okay all right, all right, right. Ladies and gentlemen... Please welcome. That's right. We're, we're, there's not a problem. This is, it's, it's, it's a guy just doing a thing. Mark and Jack. <laughs> See? That's See? That. We're worth that. <laughs> oh, Ooh, jack it off. Well, it's really hot. I'm sorry, I've literally just got here because um, I, wa- I walked from the BBC and I discovered a really... Because I just... This was the first time I've done the News Channel film review live in the News Channel since the great unpleasantness happened. Mm, since the big situation. Since the big situation. And so I literally, like, you know, a year and a half ago, I went, yeah, bye, see you next week, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then... So, we've been, so anyway, I've just did it and then it finished at six. And I discovered that the walk from the BBC to here is exactly the length of come on, feel the lemon heads, if you really crack it on. So, <laughs> um, Hello, it's lovely to see you all here. Thanks for coming. Uh, it genuinely is lovely, actually. Uh, it's, it, like, I, I know everyone's kind of making jokes at every event we go to at the moment about, like, oh, my God, it's like we're in real life and we're actually in the same room. But I genuinely... I'm so appreciative of this, like, just to break character for a second. Like, it's just character. so lovely. Well, because like, I try and act like, oh, I don't need this, but like, I genuinely am massively appreciative of this. And, like, just the fact that you've all chosen to come here, there's not enough of you. But, like, that's not our fault. I think it's just because things are still warming up again. I it's not because we're not popular. Why are you complaining? I think well, that's it's a really nice it's, it's, there's, a few, there's a few, you know... Um, we did anyway, a, I was we, trying to be genuine for a second there. Yeah, that's not going to work. No. We did a couple of live gigs uh, at... We, did, we went to the Latitude Festival, which was the first time we'd seen each other, I think. It in, really was. Yeah, it was. In 18 months. Then we, had to do, we did a, an onstage in a tent, and suddenly there was people, and it was suddenly terrifying. It was I, like, I was saying to a friend of mine earlier that, like, when we were there, I don't think I really took it in enough... 
and I came on stage and there was a, a full tent of people that I couldn't even really pay it's attention. It's a big tent, incidentally. When you say a full tent of people, <laughs> it sounds like two people in a sleeping bag, like a big, you know, like a marquee with a big thing. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> so I couldn't really take that in, so I spent the entire time just like completely staring at you because there was just too many faces. But it was, it was lovely. Anyway, so it's really nice to be. So what we're going to do is this. We were sort of just discussing you know, what we were going to talk about. The first thing to say is we've got microphones in the audience. We will take audience questions. We'd love to have audience questions if you would like to. There is all the usual protocol applies. If you have a question, stick your hand up. We'll run somebody to, to a microphone. I think I'm legally obliged to tell you that anything you say may turn up on a podcast and be used in evidence against you at some point in the future <laughs> when you're applying for a job with the government. I don't know. It works like that somehow. Your um, opinions will be made fun of. But Jack had a good idea. Yeah, I know. I felt exactly the same way. Yeah. Well, come on. So, Jack. No, you, you were actually a little bit more complimentary than that. No, it was a brilliant you were, idea. It was a brilliant, you were a very smart, yes. handsome young man. No, I didn't say that. I said you had a brilliant idea. Tell the lovely people what your brilliant idea was that you wanted to begin the ball rolling with. Yeah, okay. So, we'll just wait for these people to arrive. <laughs> nice to see you. <laughs> I'm Jack. Here's what yeah. <laughs> There's two people on stage. <laughs> well, actually, before we do that, I wanted to, because this is obviously being recorded for the podcast as well. Oh, yeah. I just want to address something from our previous podcast. Mark and I recently did our rundown of the best and the worst of the year so yes. far. And I offended some people. I don't know if people have heard the, the, the podcast from before. Maybe there's a couple of people in here who have. But I referred to uh, quite a famous writer called Jimmy McGovern as this guy. And apparently, he's got quite a fandom. So I found out that on Twitter quite aggressively. Um, so to anybody who actually is a fan of his work, I'm not you know, ignorant or whatever. It's just more like I was born in 1992, and not all of culture has hit me the way that it has for you. But the people who I offended who were nice about it, sorry. And sorry to Jimmy McGovern if he's listening, which I'm assuming he is. But also, if you were mean to me about it, get a life. That's what I wanted to say. I no, just wanted I to address that. You know, I mean, actually, I did say that because it was because this this was in relation to time, mm. and you said you did. You had a light. Not the concept you, of time. The BBC drama Time. Yes, yeah. Although the concept of time, I don't like either. But <laughs> and you said that you didn't like it, and you said it was written by some guy, and I went. Jimmy McGovern, you went, yeah, some guy. It was like, oh, yeah, this Tempest was written by some, I don't know, William, Sh <laughs> William Shacker. I don't know, I've never heard of him. It's like, there's one of my favourite, this is a, uh, William Friedkin told me this joke. I tell you this is a... Uh, so there's, a, there's an actor on, on stage and he's doing, you know, to be or not to be. He's terrible. He's absolutely terrible. And he's doing to be or not to be. And everyone's going, boo, boo, awful. And he goes to the front and says, don't, don't blame me. I didn't write this shit. <laughs> anyway, so... My, my point with that was that it felt like... What I was trying to demonstrate was that that show felt like a clash of a young director and an older writer and it not really matching for me. Okay. That's what I was trying to say. No, that's I mean, a perfectly valid point. It's completely wrong, but it's a perfectly valid point to have made. Let's do a straw poll. How many people in the audience saw Time? Okay. This is a podcast. Yeah, that's fine. No, no, no. Show no. of hands doesn't really work. No, but I'll do it. That was most people. Um, <laughs> how many people in the audience saw and didn't like Time? Thank One. you. We, we, you and I can catch up afterwards. Can we run a microphone down here? <laughs> have, we got, have we got the... No, I'm serious. Have we Let's got do this, yeah. No, this will be lovely, actually. C can you pass nice it? to have someone on can my can side. You, can you pass it down? This would be a very good way to start. We'll probably yeah, here edit... We go, here we go. It's coming from the other side. It's we'll probably edit the, this bit out on the podcast. Just like this, this yeah, wait time, yeah, I think. Yeah. 
This will be seamless when you listen to it back. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go, yeah, there. Hello, who are you? Um, I am Eleanor. Hello. Hi, Eleanor. Hello. Hello. Um, I didn't like it. I think the main, my main problem was it, that it was on a Sunday night and one of the most depressing things I've ever seen on a Sunday night. I thought the, the kind of timing was awful, to be okay. honest. Ironically. And, <laughs> um, and yeah, I just, um, I can't, yeah, I think I agree with part of it. I was really into the story. I was really into Sean Bean's story and I really wanted to see more of that. And then I just felt like the rest of it didn't fit. Right. Uh, can I ask, like the, the thing for me, and for those who haven't seen it, I'll try and describe this. There is a prison guard who is played by, I forget his name, Stephen, Stephen, St Stephen Graham. Some, some guy. Some guy. Some guy Stephen somewhere. <laughs> he's in <laughs> Martin Scorsese. Yeah, he's the a Scottishman or whatever. Uh, his story seems to just, for me, come out of nowhere. Like, and for me, that moment when you find out that his son is also in another prison and that's something that can be used against him was just like, and this too, rather than actually like letting it unfold the way that Sean Bean's story was unfolding. That to me felt like it was very rushed and kind of put me off and it made me feel like, oh, this is a television show. I don't feel like I'm watching events unfold. It's just like, and this plot happens too. Okay. I, I just... also found it a lot less interesting, sorry, than Sean Bean's, who I really wanted to follow and see more of, and I would have, I think I'd have preferred a shorter series just about him. I completely agree. Okay. Sorry. It felt um, to me like they were trying to dramatize something that didn't need more drama. Yeah. I was really enjoying like the slow process of watching somebody go through that prison system in a really kind of harrowing way and kind of morbid curiosity. And then also there was this really overdramatic thing that was happening as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a great idea. So let's ditch half the story. So the story which is really about the fact that everyone is imprisoned in the prison, it'll work fine if it's just the prisoner. Because really, the whole prison guard is a prisoner thing. you know that's not what I'm there. saying. That's, no, that's exactly what you're saying. You're well, literally saying that. You're saying, yes, it would be better I'm if we got rid that, of that. I'm saying that the A plot it's, and the B plot didn't really feel like they were part of the same... They felt like they were almost like yeah. separate things, like separate tones. You see, I like King Lear, but the whole thing about the daughters is just it gets in the way. It's like it's a thing. The other thing I want to That's say... That's a straw man uh, argument, and uh, you know it. I don't even know what a straw man argument means. <laughs> I just want to, I want to answer your very first point. You said mm -hmm. it's on a Sunday night. I have two words for you. Well, it's one word. I player. Nothing is on Sunday night anymore, okay? Everything is on. This bloody terrestrial the telly. Time. They I mean, should do something about this. Yeah, I mean, actually, that is one of the, one of the great joys of, uh, of uh, you know, what's happened recently. I mean, I, didn't, I knew nothing about telly. I still know very little about it. But until lockdown happened, I really didn't watch very much at all. But I grew up in the age of linear television, okay? So my whole childhood was defined by the fact that Thunderbirds was on at the same time as Sunday lunch. And so it was like terrifying. I mean, Sunday lunch sounded like really nice, but Thunderbirds was on the television and I couldn't watch it unless some disaster happened in the kitchen, in which case you'd be able to watch Thunderbirds. Now, everything is on all the time. So people can watch stuff whenever they want. And so that whole, the scheduling thing, you know, it doesn't, Sunday Monday, it's on iPlayer and that's great. And I, even an old fart like me has got used to the idea that nothing plays when it plays. I do think that's great. Also, if you make television programs, which um, like when we made Secrets of Cinema, I have no idea when Secrets of Cinema went out. All I know is that it was on iPlayer. And so randomly on a Wednesday afternoon, somebody would tweet you and go, I thought that bit was really good. And you go, what? You know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was watching a thing from... Anyway, and as far as the... You could take half the story out. I don't mean you should take it out. I mean that, like, I think that... Just not have it. it well, 
the way that it was like given to me felt like it was just like, and we need to get something else in as well. When I, I think I would have liked it if it was okay. played out a little bit more. And okay. on the same point that you're making about like not watching terrestrial telly and not knowing when things are, I, well, it's a, like, I don't know, I don't know how this will come across. I just directed a TV commercial. Ooh. What was it for? Uh, it was it was just for some like car. Can you enact thing. it for us? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Come on, come on. We've got a clip. No, I haven't. Um, oh shit. No, but it's going Wine. To, uh, so describe. For, what's it, what's it's, it's, so have you have you seen Peep Show? Yes. It's got uh, Matt King, who plays Superhands, okay. in it, which was fun. Right. I also had COVID when we directed it, so I had to direct it over Zoom, which was bizarre. Right. But the reason I'm telling you this is because I will never see it on the telly because I don't watch the telly. So okay. I asked the internet to show me if they ever see it just on. And I've been getting videos now just on Twitter and Instagram and things like that, people just sending me like, oh, I've seen it just and, randomly. And sorry, because I'm genuinely... Because well, he's I'm, turned his whole body to... This is, this is no, new, no, come no, on. But this is the <laughs> it's, okay, so what was it an advert for? It's for a, a car rental company, like a leasing company called Zen Auto. And what happens in the advert? Uh, Superhands, he literally is playing a version of Superhands. He is talking to the camera like, I've got a deal for you, it's this and that. And he's got like this family that he ends up abandoning for this new car. And the joke is essentially that like, he can upgrade his car but then he leaves his old life behind him, and the joke is that it would only work okay. if Superhands right. did this. And like, you thought that time was a badly constructed Come on! <laughs> okay. it's... it's my first TV advert. I don't know any of this. Did, did you mm. get paid a huge amount of money for it? I got paid all right. I did, there's always, there was this thing, I got, somebody said to me, they said, you know, I really like the fact that, you know, you don't do, ad, you know, the Bill Hicks thing about, you know, everyone who's ever done an advert can go to hell except uh, Willie Nelson. And they said, I really like the fact that you don't do adverts. And I do adverts. Nobody ever offers them to me. I would happily eat a Mars bar and tell everyone it's the best chocolate in the world. I am not proud. But for some reason, apparently there's a thing that people think, oh, yeah, Mark Kermode doesn't do adverts. Very respect, respect that. Don't do, I do do adverts, all right? <laughs> If you're listening, I don't care. There's ad reads on the podcast. Yeah, but that's my podcast. Oh, that's sure. Like, a, you know, everyone who does a podcast, everyone who's here at this festival who's got a podcast has to go, and incidentally, I'd just like to tell you about blah, blah, blah. You know, that's fine, <laughs> but no. I, 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 but you genuinely mean it every time you do it. Yes, I do genuinely mean it every time I do it. Yeah. So this episode of the podcast is, is uh, the conversation we had earlier this week. Where I was like, well, do you want to talk about this? And it seemed to connect with you quite quickly. It did. Is the idea that you change, the films don't, but yet somehow when you revisit movies, they feel different to you. And the reason why this came to mind, and it's not like I've not talked about this enough, but I recently rewatched The Dark Knight. Do you just watch The Dark Knight like every week? Like every six months? Do like, you, is, that, is, sorry, that, it, is it literally every six months? Maybe, yeah, because it's such a comfort for me. Genuinely, because mm. I, you know, I saw it when I was 16 years old, and that's kind of what's playing into this. Is when I saw it at 16, 29, <laughs> and um, I, mean, I was obviously so impressionable. And Christopher Nolan's entire career has had such an impression on my taste um, time. And uh, when I saw The Dark Knight for the first time, Heath Ledger's Joker obviously made such an impression on the world, but he also was this older guy and was this menacing adult, almost like he looked aged, like, cause he's got like the wrinkles in his, in his, um, in his face paint and things like that. And so it all felt like this almost like very far away idea. Okay. And then I rewatched it and realized I'm older now than Heath Ledger ever was. And so I'm watching okay. 
uh, essentially a 27-year-old man. He died when he was 28, so I assume he was 27 when he filmed it. I'm watching a 27-year-old guy, and now my relationship to who the Joker is feels totally different. Before, he felt like this comic book villain that was you know, out of reach in a way. And now I watch him and I just see this like 27-year-old guy who thinks he's figured the world out and is just like spouting Jungian nonsense and thinks he knows how th th it all works and he's figured it all out, but really he's just insane. And I guess it sort of grounded it for me in a completely new way that I wasn't expecting. Okay. Um, do you want yeah. to show the clip of the scene that sort of fired this off for you? Because totally, I, okay. yes. Right, Let's so. do it. This is the interrogation scene from The Dark Knight. It's one of the best things that's ever been put on film. Oh. 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 Never start with the head. The victim gets all fuzzy. He can't feel the neck. See? You wanted me. Here I am. And you didn't disappoint. You let five people die. Then you let Dent take your place. Even to a guy like me, that's cold. Where's Dent? Those mob fools want you gone so they can get back to the way things were. But I know the truth. There's no going back. You've changed things. Forever. And why do you want to kill me? <laughs> Kill you? What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, 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 you, you complete me. You're garbage, you kills for money. Don't talk like one of them, you're not. Even if you'd like to be. To them, you're just a freak. Like me. They need you right now. But when they don't, They'll cast you out. Like a leper. See, their morals, their code. It's a bad joke. We've dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you. When the chips are down, these, uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. It is a great clip. Isn't it great? Okay, so what's what changed in your relationship <clears throat> to the Heath Ledger character? That he now seems young and foolish rather than well, old and insightful? He, he, well, kind of, like, it's still, he's still got an insight to him. He clearly is reading Batman in a way that even Batman doesn't even want to admit. There's something very interesting as well about, you know the Lego Batman movie that came out? I love the Lego Batman movie. Who doesn't? It's fantastic. It's the best thing DC has made in a long time. <laughs> but that whole movie, the relationship with, between Joker and the Batman, they read this so well that it's the Joker being like, we're in a relationship. And Batman's like, you mean nothing to me. And that's what that is. Yeah. The entire scene is the Joker being like, connect with me. We're the same. And, jo and Batman's almost like keeping this sort of like, no, distance. We are not, I'm not engaging with this nonsense. And... Can I, ask you, can I ask you an age-related question? Go on. You, do, you, you get that that's a Jerry Maguire quote. You complete me? Yes. Yeah, of course. No, no, fine. I actually, there was just part of me that just wondered, watching that, whether... How, because Jerry Maguire is now long ago enough that there will be a section of the audience that don't know yes. that that's a joke about the, you know, the, one of the most brilliantly terrible scenes yes. ever in the history of cinema. But I think he means it, though. 
Like, yes, he no, genuinely I, I means he, that. I think he means it, but it's just the gag about when you, you suddenly realise that it's, you know, it's Tom Cruise and, you know, Renee Zellweger. And Renee Zellweger's performance is at that point when she's absolutely... Her performances are like a hamster looking at the sun. You know, like, like that. <laughs> That's and then, very good. And, and, and then, you know, then she said, you know, shut up, you have me at hello, which is the punchline. Yes, but, of you know, course. But the, you went to, it's, it's Tom Cruise saying, you I'd love to hear me. Batman say that back to him. Yeah, I mean, you complete me. I do have a problem with the voice as well, with the, with with the Batman, Batman voice. I think the Batman Everybody voice has a problem is with that silly. voice. It, yeah, it's, it's a, it was a choice. <laughs> it was a choice yeah. and like it's become ingrained into pop culture now so and I'm so used to it now that I can't even it doesn't bother have, me how stupid it is I have to tell you and we'll come back to this in a minute, I have to tell you in terms of voice choices did any of you see um, Skyfire yeah okay wasn't it great no it was it was brilliant though wasn't it Yes, it was great. Okay. What is this? So Skyfire, sorry, there is a point to all this. Skyfire is this disaster, a Chinese disaster movie. British director and some you know, international stars, but Chinese movie, actually technically still a Chinese movie. And it's the volcano one. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, Jason Isaacs versus the volcano. And the story of the movie <laughs> is that Jason Isaacs is a hotel owner who has built a hotel... This is literally the plot. He's built a hotel on the side of a volcano because he's been told that it's all right, the volcano won't go off for 100 years. We promise. We promise. And he's, he's literally he's wearing a purple suit and there's a line in it which he goes, we're all going to be fine. And like literally the next second, <laughs> you know, the thing goes up. And the, the, the main woman in it is a woman who lost her mother to a volcano some time ago. The chances are small. Anyway, so Jason Isaacs plays this whole part with this kind of orange tan and this uh, incredible purple suit. And he plays the whole thing with a, with a South African accent, okay? And it's Jason loves accents. He always, you know, if he's ever got a chance to do something, he'll do something with an accent. And I said to him, why, why did you do the guy, you know, the, the guy, the main part in a South African accent? And Jason said, well, because they said, who do you think it is? You know, what's the character like? And I said, well, he's Elon Musk, right? Elon Musk, you know, Elon Musk is South African, so I'll do it like South African. He said, I was three weeks into production before I actually listened to a recording of Elon Musk, realised he doesn't have a South African accent, but by that point, I was committed to it. So he does the whole thing. It came from a good place. It came from a good place, <laughs> but he does do it in South Africa. Oh, it's, everything's going to be fine. Yeah, it's not a problem. That's my... Is that South African? It's all right. We can build this on the side of a volcano and everything will be fun. No, that's a, I don't know what that I, is. Anyway. When I think of South African, I always think of District 9. I always think of something like fucking prawns. Oh, yeah, yeah. Prawns, prawns, <laughs> man. Prawns, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so back to... Back Heath to Ledger, Back to you growing up with Batman. Yeah, like, I, I, it's kind of difficult to describe this because I think that I'm not quite old enough yet to have had the experience enough of how the movie is changing because I'm older. But it was mainly just an, a, a feeling that... He's younger than me. And it was this idea that he... It's such an iconic piece of performing, piece of acting, a piece of cinema, yeah. that it's sort of just ageless in a way. And now I'm realising, oh, no, it isn't. And so many times I've watched it and felt like... I'm, I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way about that performance from Heath Ledger. I can't see Heath Ledger. I can only see the Joker. And that's very difficult with performances. No matter how good a performance is, you can yeah. see... That's an actor. You know, yeah, I, know, yeah, yeah. I know that actor from you know, magazines. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but like when I look at Heath Ledger's Joker, I can't see him. And now that I'm getting older, I was watching it and being like, I kind of can see the man there. Yeah. And that's, I don't know, quite know how to describe that feeling. There's part of me that finds this very difficult because the idea of a 20-year-old talking about, you know... 29. Now, 
Yeah, I know, but you're still in your 20s. That, but, you know, when I, you know, when I was young, I was this, but now I'm so much older. And I mean, I'm nearly 60, okay? I'm nearly 60. I know I look fabulous. Thanks for pointing it out and leaping in. Could have been a little bit faster, but never mind. Um, well, did you want a round of applause? Yeah, well, there we go. Applause being really <laughs> nearly Thanks. 60. You made nearly it. Nearly 60, yeah. I haven't made it yet, but I'm close. But there, it, obviously, there is a thing, as everybody knows, the older you get, the, the comparatively, unbelievably younger everybody. So the old gag about, you know, you know you're old when the policemen look young. It's not that policemen look young, it's that everybody in the world looks young to me. Everybody in the world looks the same age to me, it's about five. And so there's, <laughs> there's like, the fact that you and I are friends and we're friends, well, you know, we, we know each other, we, get, we work, you know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying we're not, I'm just checking. But are we friends? I would say that we're yeah, friends. Yeah, fine, OK, so come back then, come back, come back. Can't believe you've just done this in front of an audience. No, but I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't mean, like, I'm not your friend. I meant, like, you know, how could I just take for granted that somebody is hugely successful who has directed an online commercial could possibly be my friend, you know? <laughs> Did I get away with it? I just yeah, referred I to you as Simon Mayo's mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But that thing about comparative age differences, I was going to say the reason that, I, that you and I know each other is because I have a child who is closer to your age than to my age, because my son is 20 and you're 20 and I'm, I'm you know, over here. But I, the thing that I recognise is the thing about... Uh, uh, it's the same with pop records and it's the same with films. As you age and the films don't age, you, the thing changes. So, for example, when I was a kid... I loved it. I still do love Elvis. I absolutely loved Elvis. The point at which I realised that I was older than Elvis ever was, yeah. was really terrifying. But there's also something which I find slightly creepy, which is that I've got quite a lot of Elvis memorabilia. And a lot of the Elvis... I mean, the 70s period is interesting, but a lot of the Elvis memorabilia is 56, 57, OK? This is young Elvis. Just his face. Yeah, and I walk round as a 60-year-old man wearing a picture of essentially a child to all intents and purposes. And I said to my, my, my wife, I said, is this creepy? And she went, well, not until you mentioned it, but now that you mention it, yeah, that is creepy. And there is that... It's weird... a weird concept, isn't it? Because somebody becomes such an icon that it almost is like you're just wearing the brand of Elvis. Yes, but also because, as far as I'm concerned, Elvis is older than me. Mm. Because Elvis was in the 50s and, you know, and so everything's changed. So there... And I also... I, I had this, this occasion, I went to see a film... Uh, I mentioned this to you before. I went to see Ben-Hur... At a, the Barnet Odeon and a revival. I mean, I wasn't around when Ben Hur first came out, but it was a revival. And I went to see it. It had an interval. And in the, in the interval, an old guy who was watching the film came out and he started a conversation with me. And back then, that didn't seem to be weird or threatening, and it wasn't. He was being very nice. He was just talking about the film. How old were you? 11, oh, 10, right. okay. something like that. You so know. I thought this might have been a few weeks ago. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> um, and he, said, he started saying, it's amazing, isn't it, how the thing doesn't change? And I said, well, that's the beauty of film, isn't it? You know, because it's, you know, it, it doesn't... And he went... And he said, the re he said he didn't mean the thing, he meant the real changes. And what he was talking about was this particular print that we had seen had been doing the rounds... Wow, so he'd not only seen this film before, he'd, but he'd seen, he'd seen this... Literally this film. And if any of you used to go to late-night cinemas, I know everything is digital now, but if you used to go to late-night cinemas, you would recognise the print of the mm. films you were showing. Like so where you, the cigarette burns were and yeah. things. Well, yeah, the, 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 you know, they're not... I know they're yeah, not... No, no, they're um, no, I was just checking because... Unbelievable. No, it's not unbelievable because you're, because you're a child of the digital age. Yeah, that's true. 
And, you know, and a lot of people would go, what are those things? Oh, well, they're the sound sinks, that's what they are. Um, the, the, you know, to mark the real change. But I would go to the Phoenix to see the Exorcist, and the print of the Exorcist that I saw was the same print. I would go to see the print of the Devils, it was the same print. There, was the, there, was a, there were two prints of a razor head, a good print and a bad print. You'd know the minute the thing came up which print and you were And you'd groan if it was the bad one. Yes. <laughs> and so you actually knew which print was going through the thing. And then as you got older, the print would deteriorate. And I'm sure that fans of Rocky Horror have had the same thing because it would play every Friday night at the at Baker mm -hmm. Street. Um, do you want to play that strange clip from the end of Old Country for No Men? Because it, explain to us what... What's the film called? What did I say? Old <laughs> Country for No sure Men. Not what you did said. I say Old Country for No Men? There's, yeah, the scene I've of... I've had it. a really hard one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very old. Um, no it, Country it, for Old Men. No Country for Old Men. I, I mentioned this to you because it basically sums up what you've just said, which is that... Well, let's play it, because he says it better than I okay. ever could about a, a, a thought he has about his father. Let's watch it. How'd you sleep? I don't know. I had dreams. Well, you got time for them now. Anything interesting? There always is to the party concerned. And Tom, I'll be polite. All right, then. Two of them. Both had my father in them. It's peculiar. I'm older now than he ever was by 20 years. So, in a sense, he's the younger man. Anyway, the first one I don't remember too well, but it was about meeting him in town somewhere and he gave me some money. I think I lost it. The second one, it was like we was both back in the older times and I was a horseback going through the mountains of the night going through this pass in the mountains. It was cold and there was snow on the ground. He rode past me and kept on going. Never said nothing going by, he just rode on past. And he had his blanket wrapped around him and his head down. When he rode past, I seen he was carrying fire in a horn the way people used to do. And I, I could see the horn from the light inside of it about the color of the moon. And in the dream, I knew that he was going on ahead. He's fixing to make a fire somewhere out there and all that dark and all that cold. And I knew that whenever I got there, he'd be there. And then I woke up. I just want to give that a round of applause. Like... I, I, I have so much to gush about in that. I also am starting to realise as well how much that era of cinema is going to just be sticking with me because of how odd I was when this happened. So how old were you when you saw so that? So this was 2007 and The Dark Knight was 2008. So like okay. around that era, like, you know, all those, I, was, I was 15, 16 around this era. Yeah. So there was such an impression of what was happening. I kind of just want to gush about, I mean, how beautiful of a performance Tommy Lee Jones gives, obviously. But the filmmaking in this is just is just so sublime and yet so simple. Look at that frame. Like there is a dead tree and an alive tree separated whilst in the background while he's talking about and like how thematic like how that all links to everything that he's talking about, about not understanding the world and dying and growing. Just, it's just like the simplest little details that the Coen brothers clearly are just bringing to, to this. And it's just it's the sort of filmmaking that you don't see very often where like every single frame has been thought about so 
delicately. And just even his wife in it, who I actually don't know who the actress is, but her familiarity with him, like you, I believe they're married. Yeah, like yeah. I truly yeah. believe that. Like yeah. her little like putting the mug down and being like, I'll be polite. Like that whole thing just feels so beautiful. There's two things to say about it. Firstly, if any of you have read the book, that's the end of the book. It's like, it's, is it like straight It's literally like the end of the book. And I remember when it played, because I saw it at Cannes, when it, it was in the period that I... When You'd I go was to Cannes. I was going to Cannes, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it ended, and there was this kind of people thinking, is there a real missing? Is, mm. you know, is, is that it? Because it does feel like it just stops. It just feels like it stops, except for people who'd read the book, because they knew that that's how the... And it is one of those endings that... You know, you, you you sit thinking about it for a long time afterwards, which I love about a film. Um, I think that that thing that you said about when you saw it, you were how old? It must have been about 15 or 16. Okay. Do you know what? Have you heard of portal theory? The portal theory, I think it was Frank Skinner who came up with this. I may be wrong, but Frank Skinner said that essentially everyone goes through a journey in their life. And when they get to a certain point, which is around about 10 or 11, the portals of their perception open up. And you go about seven years in which every single thing you experience, you experience at a level that you would never, and then it closes. And it closes, you know, sometime in your sort of 20s. And his whole thing about it, he said that his feeling was that he was somebody whose portal opened and never closed, that he had continued mm. to be. But for most people... Because he's special. Because he's special, yeah. <laughs> and actually he is quite special, because he, <laughs> he has an incredible, you know, ability to retain stuff even now. But... I think there, it is true. Put your hand up if you think... I know this is a, it's a podcast, but it's... But put your hand up if you think this is true, that the pop records that you love the most and that the films you love the most were pop records you heard or films that you saw between the age of 11 and 20. OK, I mean, that is a good, solid part of the room. Now, it? put your hand up if you've ever felt personally victimised by Regina George. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, that was a Mean Girls reference. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I get it. <laughs> Granddad. Yeah. Did use a lot of Mean Girls in the Secrets of Cinema on, you know, uh, rom-coms, which is currently available on iPlayers. <laughs> Don't have to watch it on Sunday night. You can watch it any time at all. It's great. OK, but so for the pocket, I would say about two-thirds of the audience. Yeah, yeah, that was okay. a significant amount. So here's, here's an interesting thing. It, it, it is possibly, I mean, there, there may be sort of biological reasons for this. You know, you've reached a certain point in your intellectual development. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on, you know, hormonally, the world is changing. I mean, I remember really clearly hearing Sugar Baby Love by the Rubettes for the first time ever and literally being pinned to the sofa by how magnificent it was. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't say this as a joke because I actually love Sugar Baby Love, but one of the reasons I love it is it was the first pop record that I was astonished by. I just couldn't believe how great it was. And... I remember seeing films at around that age, you know, whether it's, you know, Doodle and the Blue, I'm Krakatoa East of Java, I must have seen when I was eight or nine. But all the kind of, the Planet of the Apes movies, which I watched when I, and I do think quite genuinely, you can learn everything you need to know about life from the Planet of the Apes movies. <laughs> and I don't say that as a joke, I think it's actually true. I um, think it's well, just, I, I don't even think it needs to be the current, Pop, move, pop music or, or movies it's that just are currently when, come out. No, it's just, just when you just see when them. when you experience it. Because so, like, I think about like Queen or Fleetwood Mac or things like that that I obviously yeah. was not around for, but my dad educated me on that sort of stuff. And so that, to me, is also part of that part of my life as well. When Jack and I were first doing stuff together, I said to Jack, did you ever see Queen live? And Jack went... <laughs> 
Freddie Mercury was in the ground before yeah. I was see, in, on the earth. Queen were the, were the first live act I saw at a, it was a, a festival in Hyde Park. And it was, I can remember the whole, it was like Supercharger and Kiki D and Steve Hillage, you played for ages, like anyone cared about Steve Hillage. And then Queen, and they were, they were absolutely brilliant. And then it, it was that, and then it was Dr. Field. But it, that was such a big deal. So when I said to you, oh, you know, you ever see Queen? It never occurred to me that we were in completely different time zones. I want to play you a trailer for the film which I have gone on about so much um, because it is, I think, the perfect example of the thing that you saw at a certain time. And, I'll, and I then revisited years later, which I'll tell you the story of. This is a film that I saw. Um, this is a supporting feature to There was a Charles Bronson movie called Break Heart Pass, which is a Western. Actually, it wasn't very good, but it was made by United Artists. And back then, when I was a kid, the supporting feature would often be a feature, you know, like a proper film, you know, like, you know, famously... Uh, Don't Look Now, the supporting feature for Don't Look Now was The Wicker Man. You go to see the, you know, you go to see Don't Look Now and you watch The Wicker Man first and then it's like, okay, now you're going to watch Don't Look Now? Like, they literally just set fire to Edward Woodward. What can possibly happen? It's going to be an intense Sunday. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and uh, sorry if you didn't know that's how The Wicker Man ends, but, you know, it's, it's I think... It's I been think, long enough, yeah, I It's think. been long enough, you know. In the Nick Cage version, which is, not the bees, you know, that's just... <laughs> In the Nick Cage version, everyone's going, burn him, please, just set fire, just, just, just... Set fire to the film. Yes, exactly, just anything to stop it. Anyway, so I went to see Break Heart Pass, which is this not very good Western... I mean, it may be that it's good, but I don't know, because I only ever saw it once. The feature that I saw beforehand was a supporting feature, which is Jeremy, and I've gone on about this so much. Jeremy was the first film I ever fell in love with. And when I say fell in love with, I mean genuinely fell in love with. It's a love story, and... It's about you know, a, a teenage boy and a teenage girl, and they meet, they're at Juilliard, although I don't even know what Juilliard was at the time, mm. but you know, he's, a, he's a cello player and she's a dancer. Anyway, they meet and they have this very fleeting relationship in which they fall in love, and then suddenly it all ends tragically because her father moves back to Detroit or Boston or whatever it is. And I literally fell in love with the film, I fell in love with the characters, I fell in love with the love story, and my heart was completely broken by the end of the film. And then I had to watch Breakheart Pass. So I only ever saw it once. And back then, if you saw a film, you couldn't then watch it on video or on television because it was on at the cinema. And it was the last day. It was Sunday and films used to, it was Saturday and films used to change on Sunday. So I never saw it again. Until 40 years later, I tracked down a print and I showed it in Belfast. I'm going to show you the trailer for it. This is an old, this is funny enough, this has just turned up on, there's now a Blu-ray release, but for ages you couldn't get hold of it. You couldn't, you couldn't. You're all right. Are we okay? Okay. Did I literally bore you to sleep? <laughs> you, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time. I have. I'm, honestly, here's the thing. I was in a car once with Mike out of the Dodge Brothers, and he was driving. We have a rule that if somebody's driving, the other person has to entertain them with, you know, witty conversation. I was. I'm so boring. I fell asleep during one of my sentences. <laughs> Anyway, so this film played at Cannes, and, and it was gone for ages, and then a, 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 about two years ago, this company in America got in touch saying, look, we're going to re-release this film, on, and would you like to do the commentary for it? And I was going to fly to America to do the commentary with, with Robbie Benton and Glynis O'Connor, and then COVID happened, so it didn't oh, happen, wow. which I know which is heartbreaking, but there we go. This is the trailer for Jeremy. Yeah, set the tone. Yeah, so it's... I think it's the most beautiful... <clears throat> Why does this keep what happening? Is it going? 
He's putting his heart on the line I mean, here. Honestly, this is like... This is, this is very really important stuff. I haven't got over this, right? I'm nearly 60. This was like 50 years ago. <laughs> anyway, we... Um, so, I'm going to show you the trailer for it, okay? And your toes may just curl and you may just think it's terrible. Watch the trailer with an open heart, but imagine that you're an 11-year-old, and then I'll tell you the story about what happened when I came back to it. Okay, here we go. 48 films were printed from around the world. They were made by the most renowned directors and featured the biggest name stars in entertainment. But look what happened. A film called Jeremy, directed by an unknown and starring two actors no one has ever heard of not only won a major award, but, in fact, was voted the most popular film of the entire festival by the general public. I have a room, a happy tune. Lord of the lands, me all through the afternoon. I have the New York Times, 14 dimes, and explanations for the most profound. That's Triple Band still in the lead. Two next and favorite city in a close second and third. As they come into the stretch, that's Triple Band and Tunic. That's Two Ripple Band and Tunic. Two Ripple Band and Tunic as they cross the wire. It's Triple Band. Does anyone else know you do this? Nope. It's a secret. Good. So I wouldn't tell them if I were you. You know what else I do? What? Promise you won't laugh? I promise. Well, sometimes when I'm walking down the street, I see some guy ahead of me. You know, just any guy. Well, I want to race him. You know, just me and him. I create imaginary finish line. I call the race in my head. I don't believe it. And Miller. The man in the blue suit has a two-length lead as they come out of the starting gate, and Jeremy Jones is a disappointing six. On the outside, Jeremy makes his move. At 16 pole, that's Jones and the man in the blue suit, neck and neck. As they're coming down long stretch, that's head and head. The man in the blue suit and Jeremy Jones. The man in the blue suit and Jeremy Jones. As they cross the wall. And it's Jeremy Jones. Jeremy, a film with nothing going for it. But the people who love it. That was an odd voiceover to end it with, wasn't it? No, but that, okay, so that was the, the tagline. And, and I didn't know any of this thing about Cam because it was a supporting feature. I didn't know anything. I knew nothing about it. Okay. So I saw it, broke my heart. I, it haunted me like, in the same way that Silent Running haunted me. I was really... And you know, like, when you're haunted by a film when you're young, it's like... It is like being in love. Anyway, I couldn't find... I never found it. It, it disappeared. It, you know, it was never played on television. It was never anywhere. I became very good friends with Alan Jones, who runs Fright Fest. This is a, the, from the current Fright Fest, because I opened it. And Alan and I bonded over the fact that at some point we had a conversation and I said, oh, there's this film I love called Jeremy. He said, I love Jeremy. I absolutely love Jeremy. It was, it was the best film of the year that it came out. And I had never met anyone else who saw it. Then I do this thing in Belfast every year, in which I show a film um, and do a little talk at the beginning of it. And it has to be a film that's, that's available for all audiences. So it can't be more than what's now a PG or a 12, mm -hmm. whatever. And I, they'd been, I'd been doing it for many years, and they said, look, is there anything you'd really like? And we'd shown Matter of Life and Death and Doodle and the Blue Cat and Mary Poppins and all the things that I think of as touchstones. And they found a print of Jeremy, right? They found a print of it. 
And I said, yeah, I'd love to show that. And then I realised that I had only ever seen this film once when I was 11. And I had no idea whether the film was actually any good or whether my memory of it was the whole thing. And so in the lead-up to doing the festival, I became completely panic-stricken because I realised I'd been going on for ages. I'd written about this film in a book and blah, 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 because nobody could ever see it. Nobody could ever contradict me because the, <laughs> nobody could see the film. And I get to Belfast, and they've got not one, but two prints, two 35mm prints, right? And one of them's got sky tags, and it's never been through a projector, as far as I can tell. And what must have happened is that United Artists must have done a deal with Sky. They must have just run off a whole bunch of prints. This thing is sitting there. And the guy says, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. And I, so I do, the, I do the introduction to the film. And the introduction isn't an introduction. It's an apology. I stand up in front of this audience, and I go, I have no idea whether this film is any good. This is one of my favourite films of all time. I've only ever seen it once. I was 11. I have absolutely no idea whether it is any good at all. Like you're and, sort of like preparing for what's aged in this that's yeah. going to come across in a very strange yeah. way now. Yeah. yeah, and then some. So you put the thing on, and I sit at the back of the auditorium. It's about the size of this auditorium, and it starts playing. And the minute the first frame goes through the thing, I remember it. I remember the frame. I remember the song. I remember every single thing about it. I have not seen this film since I was 11. I remember every single scene. It, it's like I've seen the film once and it's done, it's imprinted itself on my brain. And what happens is that although it turns out that the film probably hasn't aged, you know, as well, it doesn't make any difference because I become 11. Mm. And I sit there watching this film and I... I'm in floods of tears. I am like sitting at the, and I'm trying to control myself. I swear to you, I'm not making this up. I am sitting there and the tears are pouring down my face. Like I'm, I'm you know, I'm, you know that thing when you kind of, you're involuntarily shaking and it gets to the whole thing at the end when they're at the airport is because she got to go and she says, promise me you'll never forget me. And he says, how can you? And I'm <laughs> And then there's the song at the end, which is just the last and he walks out into the rain and then the lights go up. And everyone else has seen the same film that I have. But they, they, ha but they haven't. No, but exactly. <laughs> and they thought it was kind of okay. And I am, I'm like a pool of molten lava at the back in the seats. And then what happens in Belfast is it's very friendly. People, you know, I'm, I was in a book, so people, they want to have their photograph taken with you. All over Belfast, there are people with photographs. you just got mascara down me. your face. I literally, I look like Judy Garland. It's just like, <laughs> I look like Laura Dern in Blue Velvet. <laughs> but the thing, that's, the thing about it is I didn't change. I mean, I swear to you, it was like being in a time machine. I was, in, I mean, I was old, but I was 11 years old for every minute that that film was on. And I went home, but my wife was with our friends on South Parade. And she said, how was it? And I just burst into tears all over again. And she thought some terrible accident happened, like <laughs> cinema had burned down or something. I, but so that's interesting as well, because it's not the experience that like, you looked at it a different way, which is kind of like the, the, the thing that I was thinking about from my childhood is how much I loved Steven Spielberg's Hook. And when you watch that now, it's not great. It's not great. Steven Spielberg doesn't like it. No, he doesn't. And has been on record being like, nah, it didn't go the way I wanted it to. But... Well, you just said, as Steven said to me when we were... When clonk! We were, when we were talking about it. He said, I said, is there any of your films you'd like to watch again? He said, I'd love to watch Hook again. I said, really? He said, I just want to see if there's anything in it I like. I genuinely think it's not as bad as he thinks, but there is stuff in it that's like weird, and it's not Steven Spielberg's anywhere near one of his best films, but I do 
kind of become a little kid again when I watch certain bits of it, but then there are, there are other bits yeah. in it where I'm transported to being how old I am now and being like, no, nah, that doesn't work. But it seems like what happens to you with this film in particular is that it doesn't matter. No, I mean, honestly, Jay, it was, it was, I was a child. I was, for the 90 minutes that film was on, I was a child. Can I, has anybody else had this experience? Has anybody else had a film that they've watched again and it has taken them back to the first time they saw it, or is this just me? We had one timid hand. Can, 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 I, we... can, can I, if we pass you a microphone, can I ask you to tell us what it was? Thank you. And thanks for putting your hand I know, because I know that's a bit of a curve. This is a very, it's also a very vulnerable thing to ask. Uh, well, it was the first time I ever watched Jurassic Park again, because I always remember the first time I ever watched it, I was ill with flu when I was 12. And it just happened, my mum just bought it from a DVD in Tesco, and I just remember watching it, and I was sick as a dog, but I just instantly felt better watching it. And, I already uh, have questions. How old are you? I'm, t I'm 28 today, actually. So. Happy birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you for spending it with us. Because I yeah. already was just like, hang on, so you, but you saw it when you were a kid, and your mum got it for you on DVD as a rental thing? <laughs> yeah, it was like a thing when I was flu, and she just wanted to... Uh, buy a DVD to pass me time and stuff like but that. But the fact so. that she got you a DVD to watch it on is just like, yeah. whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. then, did you then go back and watch it again? Yeah, I've watched it every... I watch it all the time because it's my favourite film. But, um, yeah, and every time I've, I've tried to watch it in cinemas, like, five times, but I always think back to that first time I ever watched it. I thought you were going to say, well, every time I watch it, I feel like I've, I've got the flu yeah. again. Because <laughs> <laughs> here's that thing about the kind of... I can't get through it without sneezing. That's yeah. right. The, the memory of what... And has it got better or worse, or is it this, always the same? I just appreciate it in a different way. Like, I can always go into... The, like, as a kid, it was always about the dinosaurs, etc. And then when you get older, you notice about the nuances, what they're... The, the signs of man, like, tempering with nature and yep. every speech that they... Um, have my favourite scene changed from being a T-Rex attack to the scene when Hammond is discussing the flea circus um, eating ice cream yeah eating ice cream uh, yep. it, it became my favourite scene because it just sort of reflect the whole theme of his it's so interesting isn't yeah. it how you can watch the same movie like because Jurassic Park is a tremendous example that when you watch it as a kid it's like dinosaurs yeah. and then when you get older the things in it like that the ice cream scene but also the scene between um uh, for God and the devil, essentially, in the helicopter yeah. when he's tormenting him. That, like, you're watching this and being like, that, that's what he's, he's... He's, like, literally got two sides of creators having them have a discussion and he, like, bothers him and you start seeing stuff that, as a kid, doesn't enter your mind at all and it almost transforms into a completely different thing. Yeah. Since, since we're on Spielberg, mm. can, I show, can I show you the clip from AI? Please. Is, okay, so this is because this is a really this is a lovely way of doing. You've given us a nice transition. You thank have, you. and uh, thank you. The checks in the post. <laughs> happy birthday. What's your, what's your name? Uh, Ollie. Ollie. Should we sing happy birthday to Ollie? I think we should. <laughs> happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Ollie. Just Mark. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So AI, famously, yeah. you hated when you first watched it. Yeah, so it. the first time I saw AI, I was in New York um, because I was working on something else and it opened in New York for here. And AI is the... St Steven Spielberg inherited the project from Stanley Kubrick because Stanley Kubrick was trying to make it for ages and ages in a very Kubrick way. It's a story about... Um, a robot child that wants to be a real boy. So it's kind of, you know, it's, it's Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Yeah. And, um, and there's a lot of Pinocchio in it. There's a mm. lot of the Blue Fairy Very and much that stuff. An awful lot of Jude it, yeah. Law is like that... I mean, I see him as the fox, because I know the Disney one. Like, like Jude Law is like the... Yeah, yeah it's, it's all yeah. very much... Yeah. So, Stanley Kubrick had decided that the way he was going to make it was that he was going to build a robot child. Seriously, and a friend of mine, weirdly enough, was one of the people that was worked with one of the organisations that they... Stanley Kubrick said, I want you to see if you can build me a robot child. You've got a year. So they went, all right. They went away for a year and they came back at the end and went, no. <laughs> so he went, fine. And because Stanley Kubrick shoots really slowly, the problem, he couldn't cast a, you know, a, a young child because it was like the child will grow up. Mm. Well, Spielberg shoots fast with kids. And Spielberg and Kubrick were always up passing them, but Kubrick kept saying to Spielberg, look, this is more you than it is me. Anyway, I saw it the first time. When I saw it, I was of that kind of opinion that this is a Stanley Kubrick film, and I don't know what Steven Spielberg's come in and done all this for. It's just boring and it's terrible. And then some time later, my, my wife, Linda, said to me, um, you need to watch AI again. And I said, no, I don't. I don't like it. She went, yeah, but uh, you're wrong and you need, to, you need to watch it again because it's, it, it's brilliant. And I said, uh, no, it's not brilliant. It's really boring and I didn't like it. And she went, yeah, well, in that case, let's sit and watch it because I'm right. She's writing something about Spielberg. She said, let's sit and watch it and just see whether you feel the same way about it. This was some time later. Now, when I first saw it, I, I did have children, very young children, but I was still fairly new to, you know, parenthood, like, with, you know, a few years. And there's, I'm going to, the scene I'm going to show you, the, the first part of AI is that there's, a, there's a, a family who, because they have a bereavement, they agree to take in this robot child, and the mother is projecting onto the android child all the love that she has for her own children. And the scene that we're going to see is the scene when she imprints on it. This is the point at which the robot child comes to be, you know, to, to view its human parents as basically its parents. Up until that point, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a super toy lasts all summer long. That's what it is. And then this thing happens. Um, and it's Hayley Joel Osment, who I think is actually brilliant in it. And watch what happens to his face as she reads the thing. And then I'll 
tell you afterwards what happened to me when I watched this scene. I think we can guess. Yeah, you know. OK. Is it a game? Now, I'm gonna read some words. And, uh, they won't make any sense, but I want you to listen to them anyway. And look at me all the time. Can you do that? Yes, Monica. Can you feel my hand on the back of your neck? Yes. Does any of this hurt? No. Okay, now. Look at me. Ready? Cyrus. Socrates. Particle. Decibel. Hurricane. Dolphin, Tulip, Monica, David, Monica. I wonder if I did that right. I don't... What were those words for, Mommy? So, you know, at the risk of stating the bleeding obvious, I was in pieces. Mm. And I still think that that... Anybody else get shivers when they were watching that? Like, I sometimes forget how magical Spielberg is when he does... But the face, Quiet. the face, the, the thing, I mean, I don't know whether it's Hayley Joel Osment doing it or whether it's digital art, it, the, the thing... It's, defi it, it's definitely... It, no, I know, but it's, it's so brilliant. Just that expression from the fixed smile and he just, everything kind of cut... And it's John it, Williams' delicate little... And I, I was... Tones. I was just finished. And then, of course, the whole of the rest of the film is that what happens is they have to get rid of David because circumstances happen. And so... David is meant to be taken back to be deprogrammed, but in fact what she does is she sets him free in the woods with Teddy, who's the super toy. And, and then the whole of the rest of the film is him in the woods and going to the flesh fair and trying to find their way to Manhattan so that he can find the blue fairy so that he can become... A, I'm sorry, even talking about this, I'm starting to tear up. And, but here's the weird thing about it. The first time I saw it, I... I was bored. I was literally bored. I was sitting there in the cinema thinking... And do you think that's because you wanted... You were aware of the Kubrick version that could have been, and that's maybe something that you wanted, and you were going in with the expectations of, you know, Spielberg being a bit, at times, schmaltzy and things like that, and more emotional than, than Kubrick is? My, yeah, my honest answer is, when I first saw it, I was an arse. 
And, um, <laughs> Go on, and, and Spielberg. I, and I, and I, <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Funnily enough, that's exactly what I did. Yeah, come on, Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. Sure, it's a robot film, guys. <laughs> <laughs> blow up another shark, why don't you? You know. And uh, and of course, the hilarious thing is, I don't even like Kubrick films that much. Right. I think Kubrick is a really problematic director. I remember, you know, uh, it's when when Doug Trumbull made Silent Running, he said he made it because he'd spent four years working on. 2001, a film in which the most sympathetic character is a computer that wants to kill everyone. <laughs> and, uh, but I think that, that it was, partly I was older, partly it was, I mean, I had kids when, it, when I first saw it, and I, you know, my kids had grown up, and so maybe I, maybe I had grown more into understanding what parenthood is. But I do think, I presume most people will understand this, if you watch films when you're a child, and then you watch films when you're a parent, they quite often seem to be different films because things that, you know, you become a lot more sensitive to. I mean, one of the weird things, however, to, is The Exorcist I've always loved, but I never saw The Exorcist as a child. I always thought The Exorcist was about the mother. I always thought The Exorcist was about the mother. And, you know, that made sense to me. But that really... And anyway, so in the end, I apologised to Steven Spielberg. The next time I, 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 um, next time I interviewed him, I said, I just have to tell you that, um, you know, I... I I, I was really mean to that film, and I was completely wrong. I saw it again, and I was, I was completely wrong. And he said, um, he said, well, there's only two film critics have ever apologised to me. And then he named an, another very famous American film critic, and he said, and you. And what I heard was, he just compared me to a really famous American film critic. <laughs> you know? and, then, and, then, and then we were back where we were before. So I want... Uh, there was something I wanted to ask yeah, you ahead. about... Because you, you said something to me recently about how you think even you as a person, you started to soften more. Like, even when you watch a film that you don't particularly like, you're not like, oh, I hate this. Like, and you're, oh, yeah. Now you're more like, eh, whatever. Like, you're not sort of bashing your head against the wall, Transformers style anymore. You're sort of like, oh, I let it pass by. Like, do you feel like as you're getting older, you're feeling... I don't know, more forgiving of stuff or less passionate in terms of like wanting to tear something down? It's not less passionate, but again, I think the older members of the audience may understand this. As you get older, your, your, your thirst for blood lessens. <laughs> you know, it's like when you're young, you are, you know, you're, you, 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 first you think you know everything. What do you think this is? <laughs> but, you know, you think you know everything, and, you're, and, you, and also I, I confess that, you know, you make a name for yourself as a critic with hatchet jobs. Nobody remembers the lovely reviews that you do. What people remember is, do you remember the time that, um, you know, the Empire reviewed the, uh, you know, the Battleships film, and it was a one-word review, and it was Miss. You know, do you, do, you do you remember the time that, that Roger, Roger Ebert said of the Brown Bunny, I had a colonoscopy once, they let me watch it on television, and it was better than the Brown Bunny. You know, it's, we, are... we sometimes go back, me and my friends go back and watch you like tear apart Sex and the City 2 or Entourage. Yeah. They are, they yeah, are yeah. very fun to watch. No, I, sure, I agree. But I, it is true that the, 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 kind of the fire for that goes out of your belly because what happens is you start to be... You, you become more interested in the things you like than the things you hate. I mean, the thing with the... With the I, I can't remember if it was Sex and the City or Entourage. At the beginning of one of them, I did say, I'm not going to rant about this. And I had planned to just get it out of the way in 30 seconds. And then seven minutes later, I was singing the International because I was really <laughs> cross. But that is a function of, of age. Do, 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 as members of the audience, do you agree with this? Anybody else have that feeling that as you get older, you just become more accepting of terrible films because you don't, you don't feel so riled up about it as you used to? Does any, 
does any older member of the audience still get really angry about movies? Mm. You see, I'll take that as a no, and I think that's the point. I, I, I think as well that now, because we're, 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 not, we're sort of slightly running out of time now, I think it'd be lovely to open up yeah, yeah, sure. the conversation want... to the audience to see, like, you know, after we've talked about this, how the films don't change, but you do. I'd love to hear anybody else's experiences with that and, you know, any specifics that anybody wants to talk yeah, about. Or you can, listen, you can ask us anything at all. Yeah. Even, not, even if it's not related to that, if you have anything at all that you want to ask us, because I've just realised, my God, did we do... We, we went on. I'm really sorry. I told okay. you. Yeah, we, don't, you, we don't struggle to natter. No, I find if anybody Has anybody got anything they would like to ask us? Otherwise, I will go on about Jeremy. Yes, there. Straight away. We'll go there. And then afterwards, second one, we'll go to the gentleman there. And then we'll go to the back there. And then we'll come to you there. So there, 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 and there. <laughs> Are there any films that you won't go back and watch because they're just a sort of complete experience in your past and you don't want to risk it going wrong by seeing it again. Oh, interesting. I thought you meant because they were so bad. N no, because they, they, they just really worked at the time and if you go back, you risk spoiling, a, a, not a perfect memory, but at least a mm. very good one. Well, I mean, I'll do this quickly. Krakatoa East of Java was the film that I... I, I when I was writing, I only, my mum took me to see it and I loved it and all I remembered was volcanoes and a song. Um, that was literally all I remembered. It was perfect. And then I watched it again when I was writing about it. And it's quite pretty shonky, but the volcano is in it and the song is in it as well. But the whole of the rest of the film was like, was not great. And so it, it, there was part of me that thought, I mean, I did it because I wanted to go back and see how much of the film I'd invented, you know, because I quite often will invent versions. My, my memory is very, very, uh, I create things. I, I make things up. Um, I'm a perpetual liar. Um, <laughs> But I was disappointed that I'd gone back and watched it because I had a memory of being in the cinema just watching volcanoes and somebody singing a song, and it was great. And then I watched it again and went, yeah, it isn't. And also, there's quite often, if you write a very good review of a film and it turns up on Channel 4 at 10 o'clock on a Friday and you think, oh, I'll have a look at this, and five minutes in, you're thinking, what was I thinking? This is rubbish. Yeah. So I, I, there's very few things that I have a rule about not going back to. But I do wish I hadn't gone back to Krakatoa, east of Java. Do you know what? Like, I don't have specific ones, but there are like experiences I have in the cinema where I'm like, I know probably that wasn't great if I were to go back and revisit this and like properly yeah. look into it. But I had a great time. Yeah. So like the first thing that weirdly comes to my mind is Jurassic World Dominion. Like, <laughs> like or is that is that the new one or is that like what was the second one called? The Haunted House one with all the dinosaurs. Fallen Kingdom. See, I don't even know what, the, what they're called now. But, like, the second Jurassic World, I remember going, that was great fun, but I never want to see it again because I'll probably hate it. Yeah. And I think I have that experience more yeah. often. But that's probably true of Hudson Hawk as well. Because <laughs> I saw Hudson Hawk and I loved no, it. No, no. I was sitting next to... I was sitting next that's to ironically Kim sort of very... Good. Is, it, is, it, is it actually still good? It's hilarious. OK, great. Because I was, I was sitting there in a, in a cinema with me and Kim Newman, and me and Kim Newman started laughing, and the whole of the rest of the cinema thought it wasn't funny. They were absolutely silent. And the more that nobody else laughed, the funnier it became. And like literally about an hour into it, we were, we were almost wetting ourselves with laughter. All, Bruce Willis just had to open his mouth and everything was hilariously <laughs> funny. And I know it'll never be that funny again. Uh, let's take a question there. Gentleman just there. Uh, just, yeah, there you are. That's yeah. The yeah, thank you. And then we'll go to the lady in the back and then over here. 
Um, just briefly before the question, um, you mentioned earlier about straw mans. If a straw man argument isn't going to be used, then surely it's got to be a wicker man argument, right? Hey, so it's hey, hey, no, no, round of applause. Thank you very much. Worst joke of the night. Um, he's been sitting on that for a few years. No, yes. He's been like, I'm going to get the microphone sadly, just so I can say. He's got no question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, no, the, the question was related to... Uh, Mark earlier mentioned about linear TV and the fact that that's sort of disappearing. And cinema still has to be, by definition, by appointment. You have to go at the time and, and what you're seeing. But what else do you think in, in cinema is sort of changing with this Netflixization, this iPlayerization, this whole you don't have to go along at a certain time? And, and will... Will mine and Jack's generation sort of have this kind of phenomenon of going to see something and then not being able to find it? Because IMDb's existed since the year after I was born. All these things where you can now go you're and look... As, you're the same age as IMDb. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, if memory says, wasn't that started as a, a list of actresses with pretty yeah, eyes? It was called the, yes, though, it was called Those Eyes. Oh, Those Eyes, yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, uh, Cole Needham set it up, yeah. Um, Jack, do you want to go first on this? Because it, the, the gentleman referred to mine and Jack's generation. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's totally fine. Um, so the idea that, like, will we ever be able to, like... I mean, first of all, the first thing that comes to my head is the idea that I think it's going to become special for something to be in the cinema. Like, now, there was even an article today about Christopher Nolan shopping around his next film, and obviously the thing he's saying is that I want an absolute, like... A time of it being in theatres yes. exclusively because he's so annoyed that Warner Brothers have decided to put their entire 2021 slate on HBO, HBO Max, Max. Yeah. including Dune. Dune. <laughs> Dune. Um, which is bizarre that they're doing that. I, I mean, I, think, I don't know if this is answering your question, but essentially I think that it's going to have a, a tough old time to get sort of convince people that it needs to be in the cinema, which is a shame, because I think that you and I and everybody in this room probably agrees that there's nothing that beats the theatrical experience. I mean, I'm right here watching clips from this angle and still watching that scene from AI. I was completely captivated yeah. by it in a way that I wouldn't be if it was in my I th living room. I think, it, I think it will continue because, I mean, like, for example, Jack and I have been at premieres of Star Wars movies. Jack has more invested in... in Star, no, or not in Star Wars or Avengers movies yeah. than I do. But... There is the thing about a group of you go to see the film together and then we go out afterwards and we go into the, you know, that pub and I ask you all what you think so I know what the young people think. Um, and, you know, my son, for example, will go with his friends on the opening night yeah. to see the new Saw film. OK, they know they're rubbish, but they don't care. They've grown up with the Saw films. It's like, you know, they were the forbidden videos that they weren't allowed to watch. And so, that, you know, so and they will go and they'll book the ticket to go and do it. And it's a... It is still a thing, and they're, you know, they're very much of the you know, on-demand generation. They know that everything's available at any point, but they will still pay 15 quid to go and see it in the deluxe cinema in Southampton. And part of it is that they're all seeing it at the same time. When lockdown was happening, people had streaming parties yeah. in which people would stream movies at the same time whilst being on their phones to each other, so as if they were in the same room. So, they were... so that tells you something about... I think it... I think it it will continue. I mean, there's no question that cinema attendance is going to change, but I think that people who want that experience, which is, I don't think it is an age thing, I think it's an, you know... I think, I think there is also something, that what you're saying about the community of it, like, that's very important, but also to do with... When everything's on streaming, 
I don't, I'm sort of overwhelmed by it. And maybe this is me sort of showing my age a little bit, but like, I'm just like, I don't know what to pick. Whereas I like going to the cinema and being like, there's a choice of 10. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which one do I want to see? Or in my case, when I went to the cinema, there was a choice of one. Sure. And it was like, if you were allowed, that's what I would see everything that I was allowed to see. So if it was the certificate that I was allowed to see, I'd go and see it. It didn't matter what it was. That's how Breakheart passed, because I'd never go and see Breakheart pass. Except for if it was at the Classic in Hendon. Because the Classic in Hendon had a big screen up top, and then two and three, and three would always show like Enter the Dragon and all the kind of martial arts movies and two would show other stuff and they were joined by a toilet and it was possible to buy a ticket for screen two and then go into the toilet and then come out into screen three and I saw Enter the Dragon when I was about 12 and I swear there was nobody in that cinema over the age of 12 it was just kids going look nunchucks and people beating each other up which is great uh, there was a question at the back there oh you have the microphone oh it's brilliant hey um some I was thinking like about how film companies now are kind of like weaponizing nostalgia a lot, like with the new Space Jam and Ready Player One and that. Do you think people are gonna get annoyed at that because it's happening more and more, or do you just think that's just gonna carry going on? Well, I mean, the new Matrix is doing the exact same thing. Mm. Like the trailer for that came out yesterday. And just side note, it looks amazing. <laughs> like, I, like, who cares about the Matrix sequels, but this one looks like they're properly leaning into the first one. And, and what you're talking about is exactly, it's worked on me. Like, I'm looking at it and being like, I remember that, look, it's the black cat, look, he's doing this. Uh, it's all the same thing as before. It makes more sense in the context of the Matrix because it's kind of meta that they're sort of feel more, more appropriate that they're referencing themselves. But Star Wars has done it. Like, you know, there's so, there's so much, do I mean, the new Spider-Man, is going to be doing that. Matt, it already has. The trailer came out, and all I had to do was hear the Green Goblin's laugh, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And it works. But yeah, it's also a little bit like what your the attitude you had of just like, "Go on, Spielberg." Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's me being like, "All oh, right, yeah, yeah." Just because I know that doesn't mean I'm going to. Oh, yeah, I, I do like it. It's amazing. <laughs> like, so it's it's a thing that I feel very weird about, where I'm like, "Make a new thing," but also this is fun. I do like this. Can you can you pass the microphone back? Sorry, have you have you, have you passed the microphone on? So it'll come back to you. Just pass it back for a second. What do you think's going to happen? Well, how, so how old are you? 20. Fine, okay, so? Okay, well, I think there's going to come a point where there's a, I don't know, we, we, we go back to like, we're going back to like stuff from when I was born, so like the early 2000s and like yeah. the late 90s and stuff. That is that. Is that scary to me? <laughs> you know, you know when you hear that I'm born in '92. You're, you're literally younger than Jack. Okay? That's, that's like, that's like not literally, possible. I was like the '90s, and you were like yeah. the 2000s. Like, oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> like, it's starting to happen. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. So I, I, it can keep going, but then we're gonna end up going back to like, you know, it's new stuff has to be made for there to, in you know, 2030, for us to go back to stuff that happened in 2010 so i don't know it, it, i guess it'll it's gonna be just again. like this thing that eats itself you're gonna be yeah. start referencing the references yeah because <laughs> you, you you can't go back and and reference a reference if you know what i mean it's like well you can if you're quentin tarantino that's like literally his whole <laughs> career yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, like, that's why the thing when people go, you know, oh, yeah, that thing in the case, it's great, you know, because it's Repo Man. You go, no, it, it's a film before Repo Man. And, and, and so, in a way, that kind of that serpent eating itself thing is a great analogy, that that is what's happening. I mean, it, I always think that the greatest name of a pop band ever was Pop Will Eat Itself, because that is exactly what's happening 
with with cinema. It's just interesting now because like we've gone through different phases of things. Like we had too many sequels. And then it was too many reboots. And now what's happening, and this is going to be the future of the next 10 years, and you can quote me on this, is the multiverse thing that's happening. Everybody's going to do that. Where every bit of um, uh, iconography and every piece of the puzzle that's ever existed is going to be brought together. And they're going to say that they're all part of the same thing. And they're all, you know, you can go between them. And that's what's going to happen. So, for, for example, I think the next James Bond will go and meet Pierce Brosnan. Like, he will go and meet old <laughs> Pierce Brosnan. That's what's going to happen. Because they're going, there, there's so much money in it to go, like, it all happened, but it didn't, it's all in different universes. And that's just another way of doing reboots. It's just another way of doing prequels and sequels. And that's, it's kind of just a, they find a new way of putting a lens on it, but it's always the same thing. Of a just, new way of putting a lens on it. Sure. That, no, that's, that's a good phrase. Thank I'm going to steal that. <laughs> no, thank you. That was a really fascinating question. Was the microphone with Yes, it was going here, over to this you. gentleman here. Um, Mark, last like during lockdown, I watched your um, Avep My, um, review. Oh yeah, um, Avep, and like so, I sought it out, and like, I was really impressed by it. I thought it was kind of special. It felt like kind of a high production value documentary almost. Um, Avep um, or my or my my introduction. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, uh, Jack, I know you're a fan of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as am I. Uh, I just came from Prince Charles watching Mulholland Drive again on the big screen. Wow. Um, what are some of you guys' like favorite movies about making movies? <sighs> I'm going to answer that in a roundabout way, okay. where it's not strictly about Hollywood. But I really, really like heist movies, because people who make heist movies are essentially making movies about people making movies, but secretly. Yeah. So if you watch Ocean's Eleven or Inception, like every single role is basically easily transferable to like George Clooney's the director and Brad Pitt's the producer. And like, you know, you've got all these like, conversations that they're having that are very specifically about movie making, but they're just replacing making a movie with doing a heist. And so I like watching those conversations happen because it's fun to watch them discuss how they're going to make something go off. But it's more about stealing money than it is about like making a movie. But especially like I'm a big fan of Ocean's 12, which I know a lot of people do not like. Is that the one in which Julia, Julia Roberts, Roberts plays, plays Julia, Julia Roberts. Roberts? Yep. <laughs> it is brilliant. It's rubbish. Because just because from the beginning, Steven Soderbergh, who is... The Just explain for anyone. Has, has everyone seen Ocean's 12? Okay. Here's the plot twist in Ocean's 12. It's Jack. not a plot twist. It's just a funny joke. Here's the thing, okay? <laughs> so there's all the famous people in Ocean's 12, right? You know, Brad Pitt and George Clooney and Don, whatever his Cheadle doing Doing his, that accent. Oh, blimey, I'm from Matt Britain. Damon, oh, yeah, you know. yeah. And Julia Roberts, right? They've all been in the series, okay? And then at one point, they have to get their way into a casino... And how are they going to do it? How are they going to do it? Here's how they do it. Julia Roberts is going to turn up looking like Julia Roberts, and they're going to let her in because she's Julia Roberts. And you go, hang on, what about George Clooney and Brad Pitt? They don't look like themselves. And that's the joke. It's not a funny joke. It's I... like a stupid joke in which you've literally run out of plot runway. You just go, oh, Julia Roberts, Julia Roberts. I think, akin to AI, Go watch it again. No. No. And to answer your question, no, I won't ever see that. There we are. Thank you. Because Ocean's 12 is wearing that movie-making thing on its sleeve Good to the point Lord. where one of my favourite little sketch scenes in it is Matt Damon going over to Brad Pitt. And you've got to remember, meta-textually, before Ocean's 11 came out, Matt Damon was nobody. He wasn't Jason Bourne yet. He wasn't nobody. He was the Google hunting guy. He'd won an Oscar, but he wasn't the movie star. <laughs> 
But he wasn't movie star level. He was the new kid on the block, is what I'm saying. Some guy called Matt Damon. Yeah, sure, yeah. But he goes over to Brad Pitt in this scene, and now that he's massively famous, Matt Damon movie star Jason Bourne, he goes over to Brad Pitt and he's like, I just think that I could have a bigger role this time around. And Brad Pitt's like, right, right. And he's like, I just think I'm ready for that. And it's just funny to watch them do that in the movie. And I just, I love it. I'm just a big fan of that sort of stuff. So I've sort of not really answered the question about making movies, but There's I like m- people who make movies where they secretly are about making movies. In terms of films about making films, most, many of them aren't very good. Living in Oblivion, I think, is very good because I think it's, you know, it's the Tom DeCillo film and it's a, a film about somebody making an independent movie and it's, it's actually pretty sharp on the subject of, of making an independent movie and it works well. I think things like... I never understood the, the, the love for Mank. You know, Mank yeah, I just... I didn't love it. Mank just seemed to me to be, you know, people literally full of people, hello, I'm Orson Welles, and this is my producer, whose name I have to say out loud, because <laughs> nobody in this film has apparently met each other before. <laughs> and that really bothered me. And there's quite often the case in which you see... Because actually there was a film about the making of um, Citizen Kane before, which is called... It's not called THX 1138, but it's called RS, RKO, blah, 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 blah. And you just go, yeah, but it, that's, it's just like... It's riding on the coattails of the, the thing you're meant to be impressed by is that it's got bits in it from a film that you really like. Mm. But most making, of, most making of fictional films aren't very good because they're nothing like... I mean, I don't know whether anybody saw the Woody Allen film A Rainy Day in New York, but that bit in that film in which they, they walk onto a set where somebody is making a film appears to not only have been made by somebody who has never made a film, but by someone who's never fucking seen a film, frankly. <laughs> but documentaries about making films, I can watch till the cows come home. So, I mean, I think uh, Burden of Dreams is the high watermark. I think Burden of Dreams is the film about making Fitzcarraldo, and it is Werner Herzog versus the world. And I think that film is brilliant. I think Hearts of Darkness, the film about making Apocalypse Now, is in many ways you know, every bit as interesting as Apocalypse Now because it, it, it's, it's the Francis Ford Coppola thing. <laughs> Going mad. It. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> we were in the jungle, we had too much money, too much weaponry, we all went crazy. And there's also a very... Say again? I'm a big fan of Barton Fink. Oh, Barton Fink's brilliant. Barton Fink is brilliant. Thank you for mentioning it because I could completely forgotten to be here. Barton Fink is brilliant. Actually, I, think, I would argue, thank you for telling me now, <laughs> yes, Barton Fink is pretty much the only really good drama about making a film that is great. And that scene in Barton Fink when, he's, when he says... I mean, I always quote this, but when he says, we all want that Barton Fink feeling. We've all got that Barton Fink feeling. But since you are Barton Fink, I guess you've got it in spades, right? <laughs> you know, it's... And the thing with John Goodman coming down the corridor and I'll show you the life of the mind. I mean, that is... A, but in a way, that's more a film about writer's block. It's, it's almost... It's more like The Shining... It's more a film about, you know, somebody being unable to get the thing out of them. But it is a brilliant... It is a brilliant... I actually feel as like... I mean, Argo came to mind as well, that the idea that, like, it's taking film producers and putting them in a different situation yeah, yeah. to do... Which I really enjoyed. I actually feel like, even although I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood very, very much, and it, I, the more the time goes on, the more I enjoy it, and I really enjoy revisiting it, I still think that even in that, Tarantino isn't really showing what it's like to make something on set. Like, the way that, like... Uh, when the take goes wrong and the camera resets and things like that, it doesn't feel like what would really happen. I've, I've just thought. I've, ju- I've just thought there's a fil- there is a film by Fernando Treba called The Mad Monkey, which is based on a book that only exists in French, called whatever the French for the Dream of the Mad Monkey is, La Rêve de la Singe, 
Monkey. Mad. No, Sanji's <laughs> monkey, not the monkey monkey. And that is an absolutely brilliant film about making a film and going complain. It's got Jeff Goldblum in it and it's just I'm sold. nuts. And it was released in America under the title Twisted Obsession, <laughs> but it's actually called The Mad Monkey and that was, a, that was a great film. I am aware that we've... Should we do one more question? Yeah, there. Right, okay, I'm sorry. We can, we'll, we'll, afterwards, we'll be out there somewhere. No, no, we can do, we'll do one more. They haven't started okay. flashing. This hasn't started flashing at us. So that's yet. a good it's sign. It's going it? to flash at us in a bit. And then it will explode. Let the gentleman talk. So, my, thank you. Uh, my partner and I, our uh, anniversary is Halloween. And wow. so every... Was that intentional? <laughs> Did you get married on Halloween on purpose? Uh, we, you have masks on, you didn't know who it was. <laughs> uh, the anniversary of when we met, we're not married. But oh. met at a Halloween party. Oh, understood. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, so every year, every Halloween week, we try and cram in as many horror films. But this year, as it's our 10th anniversary, we're trying to do a film the whole, every night for the whole month of October. Have filled out a calendar trying to do um, films that neither of us have seen, which is, by this point, is getting more and more difficult. So okay. can you name um, 31 films? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Well, I've, I've, left a couple, I've left a couple of gaps, so hopefully uh, <laughs> one from each of you. As obscure as possible, and, and one caveat is that a lot of my picks came from the horror episode of uh, Secrets of Cinema. OK. Good luck. Right. Have you seen uh, André Zouofsky's Possession? Uh, that's, in the, that's on the list for this okay. Have you, so, so you So you are going to watch that anyway? We are, Okay. Yeah. Have you seen Eyes Without a Face? That's <laughs> also on the list for okay. this year. Um, <laughs> so I'm just trying to think what There's you... There's no way I'm going to have one. No, like, I'm, if... I'm... <laughs> It's fine. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of something that you might not have seen. So you've ba you've basically gone. Have you seen Halloween? Those, <laughs> That's me. <laughs> it's, it's funny when you say because every Halloween, you know, we try and I, I finish the sentence as kill as many people as possible. Which is like, <laughs> like, it was like, kind of together. Together. Yeah. Um, well, actually, have you seen um, what's the the film with about the serial killers, the British one? Uh, uh, sightseers. Sightseers. Have you seen Sightseers? I, I love Sightseers. Well, okay. Yeah, okay. So, that was my. Have you seen Prevenge, the Alice Lowe film? I hated that. Really? Yes, sorry, I'm coming across. Okay, I'll tell you what. Yes, okay, the, the, the original version of Martyrs, have you ever seen that? No. Okay, don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's the thing Martyrs is, I think, the, <laughs> arguably, <laughs> but arguably the, most, the most horrible thing I've ever seen. And I sat through it, and I'm really glad I sat through it to the end, because, it, because by the end of it, it, it had... It, it was OK. I never want to see it again. And they remade it, and it was just insane. But it is, like, one of those films that it's... I spent a, a good half of it thinking, I'm, I can't, I've, got, I've got to leave, I've got to leave, I've got to leave, I can't stay, I've got to leave, I absolutely can't stand this. And so, but, it, I mean, it's, it's really tough for me. It's really, really tough, unbelievably grueling. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's one of those things like Last House on the Left. I'm glad I've seen it. Um, I'm glad I fought the battle for it to be released uncut. I don't particularly ever want to see it again because it's really nice. So you've done all the classics, like you've done Texas Chains. Oh, have you seen Peeping Tom? You've seen it, haven't you? But I, I haven't seen it, so... You haven't seen Peeping Tom? No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know... I've got one, because I saw something, I just remembered... You're uh, Googling. No, no. <laughs> about a week ago, um, the reason why is because I had to remember what no, it was sure. actually called, is I saw a very strange 1977 Japanese horror called House. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. No, I've not seen that. Put there it on the list. We'll put that Who on the knew list. it was going to be me? There we are. There we are. <laughs> It's weird. It's not scary. It's bizarre. And you've, you, you've done audition, right? 
Oh, yeah, that was one of the first years, wasn't it? Yeah. Isn't it, yeah. Isn't it just great? And now the left leg. Kitty, kitty, kitty. I'm just... uh, yeah, I was in uh, Japan recently working and I was uh, talking to some, uh, some people I was working with about that film and they... Yeah, some Japanese people too scared to even talk about it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it is, though, it is properly wonderfully upsetting. And then there's, the, you know, Dark Waters, which is... Anyway, we could be... But well done. I'm, I, I, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I'm, I'm so Thank impressed. You. Um, I think we had one more question yeah, here, and then, sure. we'll, then we'll wrap up. Yeah. Hello. Hello. So, um, as you were talking earlier about film, revisiting films and feeling differently, mm. specifically for Mark, my second favourite film of all time is Kill Bill, and... Volume... It's one film. Well, as Tarantino said, it's one film. It's not, but it's, it's one film. It isn't, film. yeah. <laughs> the first version's better. Yeah. Um, so I watched it when I was 14, and I think I felt like what boys feel like when they see superhero films. Like, I felt like I was electric and could kill anyone. And then <laughs> I heard Mark's review, and as I get older, I realise you're completely right. It's episodic and soulless, but I just don't care, because I watch it again and again. That's and I, Tarantino. And I still feel that electricity, so I think just to call back to what you were saying earlier about revisiting films, it really, if it makes you feel that emotion that first time, that's all that really matters. I once said, yeah. <laughs> I once said that I saw my primary role as a film critic as explaining to people why they hadn't enjoyed films they thought they had, okay? <laughs> and I, and I, I, I do now realise that that was like an old and curmudgeonly thing to say. I think that... I mean, I still have, I have big problems with Kill Bill. I, do, I, have, I also have this whole... You know, the, the eighth film by Quentin... Oh, fine, eight. So we'd count Kill Bill as two. We're forgetting four rooms. It's like, you know, the kind of the rejigging of the, the ones that he likes and forgetting the other ones. But I do think that that thing that you just said about if you felt that electricity and that empowerment when you saw it, hang on to that because... If, it doesn't matter whether the film... It, I mean, most of the people who love Star Wars because they saw it when they were young still love it later on in spite of the fact that it's, you know, Muppets in space and they know all the things that... I love Silent Running, OK? I love Silent Running. Silent Running makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, OK? The things are in space, right? All the, all the forests from the Earth are now being put on a spaceship because the Earth is despoiled, OK? Well, firstly, well, that's the end of the Earth, but apparently not, there's life going on. So the, the ships that are taking them are flying around... The, why? Why aren't they just in orbit around Earth? Why are they going somewhere else? Now that things have been recalled, OK, he goes off, he's a botanist, he's one of the greatest bot botanists in the world, he's looking after the last of the world's forests, the trees start to die. Oh, he can't figure out why. It's because there's no sunlight. The tree can't, why? I've got to do the experiments and tests if there's no sunlight. There's no sunlight. What did you fail, O-level biology? There's a bit when they're outside, outside the spaceship, right? He's talking with, you can hear sound, and there's gravity on the spaceship. How? It's a spaceship. They're in space. There is no gravity. I don't care about any of those things. It's, it's the same as explaining to a fan of wrestling that it's fake. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. like they didn't consider that. It's, it's like, because I, I grew up loving wrestling and the amount of time... Oh, it's flashing now. It is yeah. flashing. We'll finish on this. The, <laughs> this point about wrestling. <laughs> that, like, like, somehow people are supposed to, like, like something less because you... Like, that, like, that person who likes it isn't aware of the rough edges around something. Like, you don't like something because it's perfect. You like something because it meant something to you when you watched exactly. it and it's affecting you in a exactly. way. Exactly. This has been a hell of a lot it's of fun. Been, been and, an and excellent the, banter. And the time is... Don't... I hate the word banter. And now you I want to 
hit you with an ice pick. Um, uh, banter spelled B-A-N-T-A. Yeah, Bantz, Baraka Banter. <laughs> Bam. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you ever so much for coming. We do have, they are literally, they're flashing a message now, which they says really get, get off stage. Thanks ever so much. Um, this will be a podcast in uh, a couple Soon. of weeks' time. Uh, stay well, look after yourselves, look after each other. Thank you for coming. It's been really lovely. Thank you very much. Thank you for being here. Bye-bye. <laughs>